We're going to be reading this morning from the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, it is a somewhat lengthy passage, not too long, but uh, I'll go ahead and just read aloud as you follow along on the board this morning. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you that you are our God, that we are your people, and that by your grace, we are here today. And Lord, as we are really bringing this study of the Holy Spirit to a close, Father, we ask you that this particular message will touch our hearts. I don't think it is without coincidence that uh, it was this weekend that uh, we've had to deal with COVID. Not that anyone has sinned or anything like that, but it's just that, Lord, this is such a profound and wonderful text that shows how your spirit is to operate in your body. And Lord, I pray that these words will go out beyond this building, that it will go out online, it'll go out in the podcast, it'll go wherever it is where people who want to know what a church is supposed to look like will come to hear. And Lord, I cannot, I can't, I don't have the ability or the strength to do that, but I pray that your spirit will superintend the, explain, the explanation of your text and that you would empower us to live out its principles in our lives. So Father, to your glory and to your glory alone, we, we explain your word and we do it in such a way to prompt ourselves to holiness and greater conformity to Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And I invite you to go ahead and turn in your copy of the word of God to Romans chapter 12 this morning. As I said, we are kind of bringing our study of the Holy Spirit to a close. I, I pray that it's been helpful. I know it's been helpful to me. I know uh, we've touched on some things maybe you haven't heard before, some things that maybe you have heard before, maybe some things that uh, you were unsure about. Uh, we certainly haven't touched on everything that we could, but I just wanted to give you kind of a framework for how the Spirit is working and who the Spirit is. And... Um, and, and how the Spirit is working out salvation in our lives. You know, salvation is not just a one-time decision. It is not just a walking down the aisle. It is not just a raising your hand or filling out a card or, or anything like that. It is, a, it is a life that through the power and grace of Christ is, is becoming more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that is done by His grace and His mercy and His empowerment 
And while it does start with a decision, obviously most things do, but the truth is, is that it is a life that is carried on of Christ and his spirit making us fit for heaven, making us ready for our home, that Christ has prepared a place for us and he is also preparing us for that place. We can no longer enter heaven as unsanctified sinners as anything, as anything else. And so we do want to be sanctified and we know that can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does that in, in three ways that we've kind of categorized. He works for us, he works within us, he works through us, and, and we're looking at that more today in the area of spiritual gifts. Um, and again, this is an area that uh, I said that we're really, this is really the last lesson on the Holy Spirit, although we are going to have one more lesson because in all honesty, you can't talk about spiritual gifts without talking about the sign gifts and tongues and stuff like that and why we do not do those things here. And so, uh, and so we're gonna be talking about that probably next week. I started to talk about it today, but I knew next week is Labor Day weekend and I kind of know how that goes. And, and so even though you might be more interested next week to come, I knew this would be more edifying for you to be here for more people to hear this. And then of course, COVID and, you know, and all that mess. But I actually quelled a rumor this week that we had a COVID case in our church. I saw someone in Walmart and they hadn't been here because they thought we had a COVID case. They had heard that through the grapevine and I said, no, no, we didn't. And then of course we got one, so <laughs> figures. So <laughs> anyway, but that's okay. That's okay. That's what uh, the internet and recording is for. I gave an illustration a while back. Years ago, I preached this text before and I gave this illustration and, and someone told me that it was perhaps one of the most helpful illustrations they had heard since I've been here. And so now I'll listen to compliments like that all day long, but, um, but I thought maybe if it was so helpful, I thought maybe I would give it again just to, uh, to kind of get us started off. You saw the list of spiritual gifts here, and, and these are not by no means all the gifts that are mentioned in the Bible. Uh, this is only one list, but I think that this list is instructive, and I think this list is probably kind of overarching all the other different things that we see uh, in how the church operates. But just to kind of start us off, to, so you can see how these gifts work. Imagine you're at a dinner party with seven or eight people. And imagine that uh, there is a eighth kid or, or something like that, and their job is to bring in the main dish to the table. And so they're bringing in the main dish, and, and as they enter the room, they drop the dish, and the main dish goes everywhere, and dinner is ruined, You've got eight people there, and every one of these spiritual gifts is about to come into play. Okay? So here we go. Looking at verse six, he says, if prophecy in proportion to his faith, the prophet is going to be there, and they're going to say, look what you did. You need to say, I'm sorry to everyone because you have ruined dinner. You were not being careful. You were, you were being clumsy, and you need to apologize to everyone. That's what the prophet's going to do. The, uh, the one whose servants, the servant, is going to jump ahead of everyone and he's going to be on the floor and he's going to be cleaning up the mess already. 
The one who teaches is going to come alongside the kid and he's going to say, listen, I know you messed up this time. So next time when you do it, here's what you need to do so that this doesn't happen again. You notice the little lip there. You need to avoid that. You need to do this. You need to do that. And if you'll do that, I promise this won't happen again. This is, this is how this happened. That's what the teacher's going to do. The one who exhorts He's going to say, he's going to be encouraging everyone say, hey guys, look, this is no big deal. We can, we can still have dinner. This can still be a good time. We can still have fun. Uh, this doesn't have to be the end of the night. That's what the exhorter is going to do. The one who gives is going to say, hey, this is no problem at all. Listen, hey, here's what we'll do. Here is $200 I will pay to cover dinner for everybody. So that way we can still be, that way we can still have dinner. Here's 200 bucks, go get everything you need. The one who is a leader, he's gonna say, okay, here's how we do it. You, go ahead and clean up this mess. You, go to the store. You, do this. You, do that. Let's get, you know, get new plates. Get all of this. and, And he will organize everything to get it back into place. And the one who shows mercy is going to be in the corner with the kid who's crying. And he's going to be, and he's going to have his arm around him saying, it's okay. You're okay. It was just a mistake. It's okay. We love you. So you can see how all of these spiritual gifts work together, right? Let me ask you a question. Which one was wrong in that? Nobody. Nobody was wrong. The kid probably was being clumsy, so the prophet needed to point that out. The kid needed to learn how to do it better, so the teacher needed to point that out. The the kid was discouraged. He did need someone to encourage him and show him mercy. Uh, Dinner was ruined. Somebody had to give the money to to pay for it to, to be done. Somebody needed, they needed someone to organize everything so that dinner could happen again, Right? Here's my point, is that every spiritual gift has a place in the functioning of the church. Do you see that? I don't remember who it was who told me that illustration was so helpful, but I hope it was. And that's how these gifts kind of work together. And this is what you got to be careful for. And this is why, why Paul is being so careful to say, make sure none of you think more highly than yourself, because what do we tend to do? I saw someone, when I asked which one was wrong, I saw someone mouth off, the prophet was wrong. Well, that person is probably a mercy giver, right? Because a mercy giver is gonna look at the prophets and they're gonna say, you're just heartless. You you just don't have enough patience. And what's the prophet gonna do? The prophet's gonna look at the mercy giver and say, you're too soft. Yeah, you need to get some thick skin. The giver is gonna look at everyone else and saying, well, everybody else is stingy with their money, so I guess I just have to give more, Right? The servant is probably on the floor cleaning everything out, looking at everybody saying, why are all these lazy people not helping me, <laughs> right? The, uh, the leader is probably saying something to the effect of, well, no one else is gonna do it, so I guess I have to. You see how we tend to think more highly of ourselves when it comes to spiritual gifts? That's a real problem in the church, isn't it? That's a real problem among sinners. The fact of the matter is, No gift is unimportant. No gift is unnecessary. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, 
He says that to each and every Christian is given a gift and that they are to employ it as one who is serving, is who, as one who is a good steward serving the Lord. Every one of us has been given a spiritual gift in the church. And therefore, the way that, the way that God works through us and the way that God works in the church is that we are to seek the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We are to seek his gifts in the church. Every one of you in this room this morning has a spiritual gift that God has given you. Every one. I'm gonna tell you how you find it at the end of the service, but every one of us has been given one. And so we must seek the Spirit's gifts so that he can work through us. And there's three ways in which we are to seek these spiritual gifts that we see in the text. And I've already alluded to one of them. But number one, you see in verse three, that when we seek the gifts, we are to seek the gifts humbly. We are to seek the gifts with humility. Look at verse three. He says, for though through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourselves than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Beloved, Humility is the starting point of all operations of the spiritual gifts. In fact, humility is the starting point of the Christian life. Humility is the starting point of everything we do. James chapter four, verse six, he quotes the Old Testament and says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to who? He gives grace to the humble. Grace to the humble. God, those who fit what Paul is describing here, a humble person is not someone who thinks badly about themselves because they're still thinking about themselves all the time. That's not humility. Humility is when you don't think of yourself more highly or more lowly. In fact, you think of yourself as little as you can. That is biblical humility. It's like the guy who received the award in church for most humble servant of the year and then they took it away because he accepted it. (laughs) That's really not what humility is talking about. It's talking about someone who really doesn't think of themselves at all. In fact, this is so important that all of these words here that, um, that is in the NASB, he says to think more highly, to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. In the, in the Greek, those are all the same word. Paul repeats this word over and over and over again. And there's a new revision of the New American Standard that's coming out later this year called the Legacy Standard Bible. And they really captured this. So, um, so I wanted you to see this. It says, for through the grace given to me, I say to each one of you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound thinking. You think that Paul's trying to get something across here? That's not good English, but it is faithful to the text. It is faithful, it is a faithful translation because an original reader would have seen that same word over and over and over again and and understand that what Paul is talking about here is absolutely important. In fact, if you look back in verse two of Romans chapter 12, just one verse above, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. 
You see, verse one and two says that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. We are not to be conformed, but to be transformed. And now verses three through eight is gonna give us the concrete instructions of how to do that. It's gonna give us the concrete ways in which this is how we renew our mind. This is how we present our bodies as living sacrifices. This is how that we are transformed into the image of Christ. And it all starts with how we think about ourselves. It all starts with humility. The first aspect of a renewed mind is a humble mind. The first aspect of a renewed mind is a humble mind. We must be humble. So how in the spirit of God do we humble ourselves? A couple ways here we see. Number one is to recognize, always recognize God's grace. Look what he says here. He says, for through the grace given to me, we see this in Paul's example, that Paul, he he is referring to the grace that God gave him as an apostle, but he does this several times in the New Testament. See, there's lots of ways that he could have delivered this command. He could have just said, uh, he could have appealed to his authority. He said, guys, I'm an apostle. Listen to me and humble yourselves. There's a lot of pastors who do that today. <laughs> I'm the pastor, humble yourself. <laughs> Not a great example, is it? And so he's not doing that. He's not appealing to his own authority. But neither at the same time is he simply commanding this either. He, he, he's choosing to remind them that he himself, Paul himself, is someone who is also under grace. He's not saying, I have authority, listen to me. He's saying, I've been given God's grace, follow me. He's not, he's not lording it over them, even though as an apostle, he could have. But he's saying, hey guys, come where I am. I am someone under God's grace. Here I am, and I want you to have this same experience. Follow me. Never forget that we are under God's grace. That everything we do is a result of his grace. And we also need to recognize Christ's leadership, Christ's lordship. At the end of verse three, he says, to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of, of faith. This is kind of a, a strange phrase. It's notoriously difficult. But the idea is basically this, according to where God has, has placed you, according to where God has put you, According to how God has gifted you, your history, your experiences, your gifts, use what God has given you. Beloved, don't be jealous of someone else's gifts. Don't be jealous of someone else's fruits. Don't be jealous of the big church down the street that is running thousands. Don't be jealous of any of that. Use the gifts that God's given you. Don't be jealous of others. Paul knows all too well the temptation to use our spiritual gifts as a source of pride and jealousy. In fact, do you know where Paul was when he wrote the book of Romans? Do you know what city he was in? Ephesus. 
You guys in New Testament, you should know this. He was in, he was in Corinth. What was going on in Corinth? I speak in tongues. Well, I prophesy. Well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Cephas. Paul knew all too well about the dangers of using spiritual gifts as a source of pride. And he says in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 4, verses six through seven, he says, look, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit that you may learn by us not to go beyond what was written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. And watch this, verse seven. He says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? We tend to do that, don't we? We tend to do that. Our thinking needs to change. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 is all about the gifts. And right in the middle of those three chapters is what chapter? 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter. And the only way we can seek the gifts is to humble ourselves. Beloved, you and I have no right to practice or seek a gift of the Spirit in a way that will lift ourselves up. We have no right to do that. And neither do we have the right to be jealous of someone else's gifts. The only way we can truly seek the gifts is to humble ourselves because then and only then will we be able to practice them in true godly love for one another. I told you many times, I know 1 Corinthians 13 is always quoted at weddings, but the truth is that chapter in context is all about the church, how we interact with each other. It's not envious, it's not proud, it's not boastful, it doesn't seek it doesn't rejoice in evil, but rejoices in what is good. It's patient, kind, all of those things. So only in humility can we truly practice the holy, the, the holy spiritual gifts in love. So from there, how do we seek the gifts? And, and secondly, in verses four and five, and really through the rest of the text, we, we see that we need to seek the gifts not only humbly, but we need to seek them as and within Christ's body. We need to seek them as Christ's body. What do I mean by that? Look in verses uh, four and five. He gives an example here. For just as many members in one, just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Paul compares the church to a human body. It's one of his favorite metaphors in the New Testament. And he points out that just as our bodies have many members, all of which have different functions, he's pointing to the great diversity that is within every single one of your physical bodies in this church. It's amazing to read statements like this in Scripture. Because when Paul wrote this, he's likely thinking of no more than just the body parts that you can see. I saw online yesterday, just out of curiosity, there's nine of those. You've got the head, you've got the arms, you've got the legs, you've got the torso, eyes, those kinds of things. But Paul had no idea the amazing things that's happening within your body that we know today. 
There are over 600 muscles in your body, over 206 bones, give or take. Depending on how you want to count them, there's 284 organs in your body. If you want to go even smaller, there's, 30, there's 37.2 trillion cells estimated all operating in your body, each and every one of these having a different function. Beloved, the human body is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And it's a great illustration of the church because whether you're talking about nine parts, whether you're talking about 300 bones, whether you're talking about 600 muscles, or whether you're talking about 37.2 or whatever, trillion cells, all of them are functioning as one body, different, diverse, but unified. And you would expect that Paul would immediately start talking about all the differences, but he doesn't. He says, even though your body has many members but are of one body, so we are many, but we are one body in Christ. <laughs> you know what's amazing about that is that up until this point, when Paul wrote this letter, he hadn't even met the Romans yet. Yet he says, he tells them, we are all one body together. And even though we are all different and we are many, every one of us belongs to one body. Paul is emphasizing not our diversity, but he is emphasizing our unity. That we are all together. We are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I get this thing that happens every now and then and I was, I was so surprised. Did you know that you have literal rocks in your ears? That there are three little rocks that are kind of like marbles. And when one of them kind of gets out of place, every time, you, every time you lay down or every time you get up, you start kind of getting dizzy because one of those little rocks has fallen out of its little hole. Your body is playing billiards in your ear. Did you know that? It's It's incredible. It's incredible. And one little tiny little thing gets out of whack and I'm walking around like a drunk person. I'm just, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. All of these members are all members of one another. They all affect one another. And they all have a part to play. He's emphasizing our unity. And you go back to verse three. This is why he says, listen, don't overthink yourself. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. The gifts are given to you to be a part of something bigger than yourselves, bigger than myself. They are given to be sought and to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. And so don't miss these important words. He says here, we are, we are one body. Watch this, in Christ, in Christ. The goal is that we are building up Christ's body. The basis of our unity, beloved, is not the greatness of our gifts. Don't think too highly of your gifts. Don't think too lowly of your gifts, but don't think too highly of your gifts. Don't think too highly of yourself. The whole point of the gifts is so that we will build up the body. The, the basis of our unity is not the greatness of our gifts, but our union with Christ. That's the basis of our unity. 
And it helps us to understand how they function together. Because each one of these gifts are in Christ, but they are also a reflection of Christ. They're received in Christ. I didn't have that received in my notes. Sorry, Mark. They're received in Christ, but they're also a reflection of Christ. Beloved, each and every one of these gifts reflects an aspect of the ministry of Jesus Christ, both past, present, and future. Each and every one of them. Prophecy, for example, Christ is our prophet. And he called Israel to repent and believe. In fact, the very first word of his ministry is repent and believe in the gospel. You look at how he spoke to the religious leaders of the day. Woe to you Pharisees and scribes. He says there in in Luke chapter 20 in verse uh, 45. In his function as a prophet, he says... um, He says here, and while the people who were listening, he said to the disciples, beware the scribes who love to walk around in long robes, love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor. They devour widows' houses and for the appearance sake, they offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Beloved, Christ is being a prophet there. He's calling them to repentance and warning them of the consequences of their sin. But Christ is also a servant. Mark chapter 10, also verse 45, says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Christ is a servant. Christ is the teacher. John chapter 13, verse 13, he says to the disciples, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. And he goes on and tells them that if I am your teacher, then follow my example and serve one another. Exhortation. He speaks, li- speaks likely of, of comfort and encouragement. And Christ is the great comforter. He is the great encourager. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy and heavy laden in labor, and I will give you rest. Christ is the great comfort. He is the great giver. He is the great giver. Looking back at Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's the great giver. He's the great leader. Matthew chapter four, verse 19, first thing he says, he says to his disciples is follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. He is the great leader. He is the great head of the church. And he's a great mercy shower. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Thank God for Christ's mercy, amen. And beloved, if you are here this morning and you are lost and you don't know Christ, I want you to look at this list very carefully because these are all the ways that Christ is trying to call you to himself. 
He's warning you of your sin. He has served you by giving his life for you. He has paid the ultimate price. He has given all for you by dying on the cross. He is teaching you what it means to be saved. He is trying to lead you to himself, offering himself to be your king. And he's showing mercy to you by offering to forgive you of all of your sins, all of your transgressions, and to wipe out all of the penalty for your sin. These are all the ways that Christ is reaching out to you, reaching out to the lost. Each and every one of these, beloved, is an expression of the gospel. Each and every one. And when we practice and when we fulfill our gifts, we reflect an aspect of the gospel in our lives. And when the church as a whole is practicing the spiritual gifts, when we are all practicing the gifts together, we are reflecting the fullness of the gospel. Every aspect of it, the prophesying aspect, the teaching aspect, the serving aspect, the leading aspect, the giving aspect, all of those aspects, all of the gospel and all of its many splendored, glorious truth is reflected when the church is acting like the church. And when all of these gifts are functioning together, we are truly the body of Christ. We are truly his body in this world. In all of his many splendored glory. I don't have the same gifts as you do. You don't have the same gifts as I do. But each and every one of us, when we are fulfilling our gifts, are a reflection of Jesus Christ. And when we're fulfilling them together, we are the body of Christ. Isn't that great? Just imagine what this world will be like when the church decides to be the church. Not arguing and carrying on over who gifts are better and who gets to do what and who gets to be what or whatever, but truly being the church. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So we must seek them humbly. We must seek them as Christ's body. And finally, we must seek them practically. Practically. So all of this leads to a question, and that is this. How do you discover your spiritual gifts? And Sunday school class, we just went over this a few weeks ago, so don't spoil it. How do we discover them? There is a lot of confusion here, and quite frankly, most of the views out there are unhelpful. For instance, a lot of people would just say you need to wait for the second blessing to come. We saw last week that there really is no second blessing. There's no second work of grace. Your first work of grace is quite enough for all of us. Salvation is enough. You don't need more. And so there is no second work of grace. And, and part of the problem with that idea is that it makes you passive in the Christian life, that I don't have to do anything until I get this overwhelming experience. And then at that point and that point only, then I'm able to serve. Beloved, seeking of the spiritual gifts is not to be a passive idea. It's actually something very active. It's something that you do. It's something that you work toward. It's something that you cooperate with. So that's not it. 
Uh, maybe you guys have done some of these before, these spiritual gift questionnaires. Have you ever done that? Um, some churches will use them as part of their new member classes, and, and then they'll use them to kind of put you in different places in the church. Uh, you can call them uh, spiritual gift questionnaires. Sometimes they're called inventories. They're, they're basically a, a baptized psychological personality test is really all they are. Have any of you guys ever taken these before, maybe online or maybe part of a church? I don't know. Maybe you had a former pastor here that's done that before. I don't know. Stefan, I hope it wasn't you. I'm sorry if it was. <laughs> um, those, those are good. I mean, they're okay. They can give you kind of a... <laughs> I have to be careful when I bad talk former pastors, don't I now? So, <laughs> um, You know, those, I mean, those things can kind of give you a baseline, you know, whatever. I've, I've never been a big fan of them and I don't put a lot of stock in them. Um, and I don't use them and probably never will. And here's the reason why. Because there's a couple of things, very important things that they, they really don't take into account. Number one, they don't take into account the Holy Spirit. If you had asked me 10 years ago, well, not 10, 20 years ago, if I would be a pastor speaking in front of people, I would have laughed in your face. I'm the last person in the world who should have been a pastor. I really am. You, pro you guys probably know that. Nine years of putting up with me, you probably know that by now. I'm the last guy in the world that should have been a pastor. And I, I've talked to so many people that said, man, if you'd asked me two or three years ago that this is the ministry that I was doing and I love it, I, 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 would have, I just would have laughed at you, right? I mean, we've met people like that before. You've probably experienced something like that before, right? I hope you have. And so that's the first problem. They don't take the Holy Spirit into account. But second of all, and I think this is the bigger problem, they don't take sin into account, for example, if you are a prideful person who loves giving your opinion, then you're gonna score very high as a teacher on those tests. If you are a person who's trying to buy affection from other people or buy leadership in the church, then you're gonna score very high on the gifting section of those tests. See, it doesn't take sin into account. There was a, a guy in my home church that he was on every committee and he was, I mean, just all the time he was there. And you can count on him for everything. He was doing it to the neglect of his family. And before long, it, came, it became pretty obvious when he had a disagreement with the pastor, he was doing it because he was kind of politicizing, getting people on his side, so to speak. But if you had given him one of those tests, he would have scored very high in the service gift. See, those gifts, those tests don't take sin into account. Do you see where I'm getting at there? And you can see why it's so dangerous to use them to put people in places in the church, in my opinion. So I told you what not to do. How do you discover your spiritual gifts? I've, I've got a very simple way to do it. Here it is serve. Serve. Anywhere you can, wherever you see a need in the church, just serve. Just go do it. Just serve. Whenever you find something in the church that needs to be done, just serve. Just do it. Try out teaching. Try out hospitality. Try out all these other things. 
And by the way, men, just so you know, there is no law against men serving in the nursery. Just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> so um, just serve everywhere you can. Just serve. Try it out. Anywhere you see a need, serve. And when you discover your spiritual gift, three things are gonna happen. And I'm gonna go ahead and put them on the board so you can write them down. Number one, when you come across your spiritual gifts, first of all, you will enjoy it. You will enjoy serving God. That's a foreign concept to some of us. But when you serve within your gifts, when you discover your spiritual gifts, you're going to love it. I'm not saying there's not gonna be times that you're gonna be frustrated, but you're gonna love it. Overall, it's gonna be a source of joy in your life. And number two, people will, others will affirm it. Others will affirm it. You know, you'll start hearing things like, man, you've got a real knack for that. You're pretty good at that. I remember I was doing a, in my sociology class in high school, uh, and this was about two years after I was saved, I had to give this little presentation on the sociological aspect of love, I think it was. It was kind of weird. But anyway, I gave up and I talked about it. And I couldn't believe, this was in a high school class, I couldn't believe the reaction I got. People were like, man, are you a preacher? Because you sound like a preacher. I was like, no, I am not a preacher and I will never be one. Kind of find out they saw something. Others will affirm it. And, and when you start serving in your spiritual gift, people will start coming to you and saying, man, you're really good at that. You, you're, you're really, you've really got something there. You've just, you've, you know, I've, I've got a, my, my brother-in-law is a, is a youth sponsor in Houston. And guys, and, and he'll tell you this. I'm not telling you anything that he won't tell you. He is the biggest geek you've ever met. He's got the whole Lego set of Harry Potter built in his, in his little man cave downstairs. Most guys put in their man cave, they have like these huge sound systems and games and all that. He's got the entire Harry Potter world built in Legos. Okay? And uh, I mean, and he just, he's just like that. And when he gets around youth, I mean, he can, just, he can just be there and these youth just come to him. They just surround him. I mean, uh, he's not someone that I would normally think that has a personality of a youth minister, but oh my goodness, they just, they love him. He's like, he's like almost 50 years old and still these teenagers just are around him all the time and they just love him to death. It's nothing he's doing. It's a spiritual gift that he's developed and that he is, that he has discovered. People will take notice of it and they will affirm it. And then finally, and I need to, you need to be careful with this one, but God will bless it. You will see fruit. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That does not mean that you will see numerical growth. That does not mean that, okay? It could mean that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, all right? But what it does mean is that you will see Christian growth as a result of something you've done. I remember uh, someone in our church uh, just has a, a love of cooking, has a real knack for serving and hospitality. And, and, um, and, and one night she made a meal and she took it to a family that was struggling. And I remember that family telling me, you know, just the night before that, we were thinking, 
There is nothing to this Christian thing. Christian life should be easier than this. We should not be struggling this hard. But then she showed up with that food and we just felt that love of Christ and we knew that God's got this. That's the kind of fruit I'm talking about. And that's the kind of fruit you will see when you discover and you are working in your spiritual gift. You will see people growing. You will see people coming to greater maturity in Christ as a result of your gift. So how do you, how do you discover your spiritual gifts? Simple, serve. Just serve. And be looking for these evidences in your life. And you know what? You may try 10 or 12 things before you discover your spiritual gift. What's the worst thing that's gonna happen? You've served the church. That's not a bad thing. A lot better than those spiritual gift <laughs> tests, right? It's a lot better than sitting around doing nothing while, you, while you're waiting for something that may or may not come. Just serve. Just serve. Anywhere you see a need, serve. I uh, read a great book. It's called The Trellis and the Vine. It's about ministry and how to organize ministry and describing ministry as a, the organizational aspects as the trellis and the ministry of the word itself as the vine. And the only reason why the trellis exists is to support the vine. And yet so many churches in America and in the West have, have built elaborate and built such beautiful trellises and yet they don't notice that the vine is sick and dying. And it changed my entire aspect, my entire mentality of ministry. You know, before, if you came up and said, you know, Randy, I really wanna serve in the church, I would think, okay, here's a job here, there's a job there, a committee member here, you know, these kinds of things. I would always think that way. It changed me. Now, I remember right after I read this book, I was in Colorado Springs, someone said, Randy, I love the church here and I wanna serve, what can I do? I said, you see that gentleman over there? He worked for Focus on the Family. He was just laid off. He's got six kids. He was the only, he was the sole source of income in the church or in the family. He's really, he's really scared. He's discouraged. Why don't you take him to lunch this week and pray with him and just encourage him. No, it's not a job, but it's ministry. And it's discovering your spiritual fruits. So beloved, I'm gonna ask you this morning, have you discovered your gifts? Have you discovered what the Spirit's gonna do through you? Are you passively waiting? Or are you, or are you serving to discover them? Are you using them to reflect Christ? Or do you have jealousy over the fruits and gifts of others? Are you using your gifts for the glory of Christ? And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your savior, I want you to look at every one of that list and know that that is the way, those are all the different ways Christ is reaching out to you. And maybe one of those you're responding to this morning. And if you are, I would love to talk to you. We're not gonna have a normal invitation this morning just for the COVID scare. But just right where you are, I would ask you to bow your heads. Let's go ahead and stand and bow our heads. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come. I'm just gonna ask you to reflect on, are you using your gifts in the church? Are you actively seeking them? You say, Randy, I don't know what my gifts are. Okay, find somewhere to serve. 
Look around. There's lots of needs in the church, probably needs that you see that no one else sees. That's a great evidence. That's a great evidence that maybe God is calling you to something. You see something, you see a need in the church and and no one seems to be noticing it, but you, beloved, that is a sure sign that maybe you're the one God is calling to fulfill that need. Just serve, wherever it is, just serve. If you don't know Christ this morning, I'd love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you so that we may show you who Christ is. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the church of God. We thank you, Lord, that when the church is functioning and and doing right, Lord, we, we truly reflect Christ in his many splendored glory. And I pray, Lord, that Calvary Baptist Church would be a church that reflects you. That the many aspects of your ministry, whether it be calling out sin, whether it be teaching, whether it be showing mercy, whether it be giving of ourselves, being willing to spend and be spent for the gospel, whether it be organizing, whether it be whatever it is, or leading, whatever it is. May you have the glory in Calvary Baptist Church. May we be a two-way mirror that when people see us, they see through us and see the glory of Christ. And Lord, when you see us, you see your glory being reflected back to you. That is my prayer for our church. I pray this morning that each and every one of you are considering how you may contribute to that. Let's sing, now I belong to Jesus, number 503.